0: Welcome to Cloud Radio, made for full-stack cloud operators. Cloud Radio covers all aspects of the business of software. All right, excited to have Eldar Tuvi from Vertice. If you don't know about Vertice, Series A company based out of London, backed by Bessemer Ventures and 83 North at the Series A stage, have a SaaS spend management product, and they're rolling out a cloud cost containment product. Um, So we're happy to have them on the show. Eldar, anything you want to tell the audience about yourself well
1: great to be here as i as i told you it's like my first podcast so i'm excited to see how i'll perform but uh yeah i mean in just in terms of who we are and you know obviously i'm a founder and ceo of uh Vitice. as you said like we're based in in london i think hq but got a massive presence both east and west coast u.s uh big engineering hub in uh, in Brno in the czech republic and staff all around the world in australia singapore and other kind of european countries so um we've expanded rapidly we we kind of got funded about a year and a half ago launched our product and it's just been uh, amazing ever since there's obviously you know timing is everything and a lot of companies out there are concerned about their cost base the sprawl of SaaS, and also cloud costs so we've seen a very kind of fast uptake of what we're offering and a lot of demand and i guess product market fit you know previous to vertice i'd run and founded two cybersecurity companies both exited one to cisco one to jamf in the us and building those fast-growing companies you know we were buying a lot of software a lot of saas software for our own needs and it was like a real headache you know, marketing would say we need this product, we need more licenses, we need this module. We'd go to IT. IT would say, yeah, but what about security? We go to legal. We need the red lines. Then we go to finance. Do you approve it? It would come to my desk. I might say, oh my god, why has it gone up like you know eighty percent since last year? Or go back down the chain, and then they say, oh, we really need it because of such and such reasons. And so it just it was just like loads of email threads about it. It was just really difficult to kind of control. That was one reason. And also, we, as ourselves, we were selling software to, as I said, you know, cybersecurity software. So we had, you know, thousands of customers, both companies, about 2,000 customers, enterprise customers. we were doing renewals for them all the time. And it was a real pain to get those renewals done. And we saw, we noticed over time that there was just a massive distribution in the pricing that we offered different customers. So you know depending on where the customer if they were buying an aussie dollar or euros or dollars or canadian or pounds like those exchange rate differences they were buying at the end of the quarter we'd give them a deal to try and get it into the quarter some sales guys better at negotiating than others you'd get different variations in pricing so over time you just see a massive variation on pricing and we thought when we came across the idea of doing vertice we just knew that there was a problem for customers to manage it but also there was just a distribution of pricing and we thought we could through benchmarking and some playbooks and other things that we can talk about bring some order to that and and basically negotiate better pricing and better terms financial terms payment terms for for customers so that's where the where the problem came from and that's how we launched our sort of SaaS purchasing platform but then talking to customers they immediately started talking about cloud so they were saying like, it's all very well and good that you're helping me with Salesforce and HubSpot and Zoom and, and, and Microsoft and Figma, et cetera, et cetera. But what about this massive cost that I've got here with AWS or Google? And we basically knew very, very soon that there was, a, there was demand for it. And also just given our own experience internally with our leadership team, we'd had data centers across like 30 different sort of data center locations. And about ten thousand different instances running so and probably about seven different public clouds. so we knew we could we knew what, what cloud cost optimization required and we knew we could build it so it's pretty simple for us to decide to actually build it ourselves rather than partner or buy and we we took about nine months to build it and just launched it you know two weeks ago
0: interesting and then just to frame this discussion for everyone throughout the the episode like what is your ideal customer like how much it spend software spend cloud spend do they have um so that you're able to serve them
1: yeah i think you know we don't really make sense for customers so we price based on SaaS spend and cloud spend but often when you're having your initial discussions with customers and we're talking mostly to the finance team even the finance team just don't have a handle uh, it's really the problem we're solving. They don't really have a handle on how much their SaaS spend is. And their cloud spend is like moving around the whole time. So it's growing very quickly and hard for them to get a handle on. We price based on that. So the higher your spend, the more we charge you. But often we just use a proxy for number of employees because we've got a good feel for number of employees which will roughly equate to that spend. And I would say that we don't really, we can't really bring all of our optimization to bear for companies below around about 50, 60, 70, whatever employees. So, most of our customers start at about 100 employees and they range up to the biggest ones, I'd say 5,000, 10,000 customers. And we're getting bigger all the time, moving up the kind of stack into your enterprise customers as our platform is matured and our offering is matured.
0: Interesting. And again, to frame it, like what are the cost savings on the SaaS spend management side uh, when they work with you?
1: Yeah, so obviously that it varies greatly, but on average, when we look at it across the whole kind of portfolio, all these different, I think up to something like 8,000 contracts that we've negotiated already, it's roughly coming out at about 20%. It can range, you know, some, some vendors, it's very, very difficult to do anything and to improve the terms that have been offered to the customer. So there we might get, let's say, I don't know, 3 or 4%, but those vendors generally give zero and, in fact, increase their prices, something that we can discuss. But other vendors, it's much, much easier, and there are much bigger savings that are available. So, But on, our, on average, it comes out to 20%. And
0: so, yeah, this is something people might not be aware of because it's something of an emerging trend. Are these negotiation services like yours? So, like, to be clear, you're more than, like, a directory of SaaS apps or some... It's a software tool like you have people negotiating the purchases correct
1: that's that's absolutely correct that's i, I couldn't have put it better myself i think what we've tried to do is bring as much technology to bear as possible so we have a platform which gives you control over all your sas contracts gives you a timetable of the renewals as they're coming up all the contract information the terms but at some point talking to the vendor you can't be completely automated, so we have a really expert team of buyers who do this day in, day out. So that's really where the secret comes in. The secret source is that you know if you're negotiating with Salesforce every day, you know their playbook, you know their price list, you know how they like to work, you know what what is helpful to them to get your deal over the line. And when you're just a customer who buys or renews Salesforce once every three years, let's say if you're on a three-year contract. It's quite hard to do that you know the staff may have changed you're not really an expert purchaser of software you're got, you're running sales let's say if you're if you're renewing salesforce or you're doing marketing and um it's just more difficult for you because you only do it once every three years and you don't know all the ins and outs the competitive landscape in that space so it's just much easier to and much more effective to hand it over to someone who's a who's an expert and also it's just like so much time saved. I mean, just the, you know, the average company has so many tools that they have over a hundred and just it's constant renewal. That's the kind of the beauty and the pain of a subscription service. It's great that you're handing it over to the cloud, but you've got to renew it every year. And then that cycle just continues. As soon as you onboard a new tool, then you, it's like time for, for a renewal and you need more licenses, more modules, different variations. Uh, and it becomes like a full time job for these companies.
0: And then from like the software vendor side, because, you know, obviously folks like Vertice might not be totally welcomed by them. Are there any like mitigants where it's OK, the renewal process is faster, or the legal process is faster, just because these are experienced negotiators. So there is some benefit, right, like a shorter renewal cycle or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's curious you'd imagine that on like first kind of first pass, like, oh, they're not gonna like you. But actually what we found is that they like us a lot. And the reason is exactly as you kind of intimated. Like I can tell you, like when we ran these two companies that I talked to you about, cybersecurity businesses, we had lot you know, two thousand customers renewing every year, right? Trying to track them down and get your renewal and get that signature on the order form is often easy, but in other cases is really, really difficult. They have other priorities or their staff has changed or they're on maternity leave or paternity leave or whatever has happened, or they've moved, been moved to China and trying to get that renewal is difficult. So I think a lot of vendors really like dealing with us because we know exactly what's required. We know their playbook, we know what's important to them, whether it's certainty or payment dates uh, payment terms or, or other terms. And we tell them what's possible, what's not possible. And we deal with the customer on their behalf, so it becomes a much quicker process for them and they love it. That's been our experience so far. I'm sure there's some vendors who may not appreciate it, but on the whole, you know, and obviously you've got to understand, like most companies often use the same kind of software. So it's always the same kind of usual suspects, you know, as I said, Salesforce, HubSpot, Microsoft. So it's a repeat game for us. Like we're all constantly talking to the same vendors, and it becomes faster and faster and faster, and more seamless, and everyone wins.
0: Interesting. I, th- I think that's fascinating to to see all of this, and obviously the the margins on the software are so high that they you know they have ability to discount.
1: They have ability to discount, but also they you know they for them I think uh, you know from a vendor point of view they like the certainty, the speed. So you move, you do your renewal quickly and then you can move on to new business, which is what most vendors are chasing, including us, we're a vendor, I guess. So we're always chasing new new accounts, new logos, and you can focus on that rather than chasing your existing customers for renewals. And so I think it works out well for everyone and and just makes the process more streamlined and less, less kind of clunky.
0: Okay, interesting. And we'll shift over to the cloud cost optimization which again you guys are rolling out a new product there and we have a lot of investors who listen to this show a lot of people who are non-technical business people but want to understand like kind of what inning are we in in the overall cloud cost optimization shift for AWS and all of the players
1: i'm guessing matt you're talking baseball right baseball so i don't snuck- know if
0: there might be a cricket analogy the it's a cricket analogy but I I'm
1: not big on either sport. Okay. Uh, but I guess I know enough to know that you get nine innings in Correct. correct. So I'd say, I'd say I'd say we're in the first innings.
0: Okay. Um
1: I think th- just stepping back, you know, the environment we all I don't need to repeat this. I'm sure a lot of people listening to this know about the kind of cheap money environment that we had and times have changed and all the rest of it and I'm not going to rehash all that but the environment now is the, where before the motive was growth at any cost, add, 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 add new products, add new customers, expand more geographies, et cetera, et cetera. The position now is that a lot of companies, and there's obviously still companies growing at that pace, but a lot of companies are more focused on reducing excess spend. And that's why it's become come into focus, cloud cost optimization. And, you know, larger companies often have a plan in place, but smaller companies I think are feeling and uh, like scale-ups are feeling the the pain of these costs that are increasing they've they've moved to the cloud they have put their infrastructure on public clouds, and they're seeing the cost go up and sometimes really the problem is not so much the cost going up is just like they don't really understand why it's gone up so there's a lack of Understanding from the finance team's perspective on why why has my cost gone up thirty percent this month, and why has it gone down ten percent the next month? Like, what, what's happened here? What, what, what's going on? And so, they're used to on the SaaS side of things. Like, you sign a contract with HubSpot, you know what it's going to cost you every month or for the year, and it's fixed. But on the cloud side, it's variable. It, like, it keeps moving up and down depending on what, cloud, what the cloud engineering team is doing. And that kind of unpredictability is also a massive issue for them. So I think we're at the first innings, come back to your question. You know, I think a lot of companies have put in place like a FinOps plan, but, you know, in a recent survey that we just published, uh, about a third of them say they, they haven't done it successfully. It's a real struggle. There's spikes in the spend and they don't really understand on the finance team. You know, they're not as expert, it's complicated stuff. Like, if you've ever seen an AWS invoice, you'll know that it's a complicated thing to kind of work out what's happened behind the scenes. Why did they add these instances? Why is why is the storage gone up? What's happened here? Is it because of a business reason? Is it more testing? What's, what's going on exactly? And so they, there's a massive disconnect between the finance teams and the tech teams. Tech teams think that finance like don't really understand what's going on and why are they bothering us and we're trying to do our best and we're resource constrained we're trying to do our best to like bring out these new features, put out the new product, add capacity. And you're like, why are you asking us these, frankly, silly questions? Finance saying like we're completely in the dark here. So that's what we've tried to do is bridge that gap, bring some visibility between the two teams. So I think communication is a big part of it.
0: And in that new report of your guys that we'll, we'll put in the show notes, you had a stat that 32% of cloud spend is wasted. And, you know, kind of if you're bullish on Amazon and Microsoft, that could be really concerning when you see that 32%. Like, that's a very meaningful number. Where do you think that waste number could end up through services like yours?
1: We believe, and based on the sort of early customers that we've got on the pro- platform, plus also all the kind of, you know, pilot customers that we have. We think we can reduce on average for a customer, like they cost by about 25%. And that's through a combination of different optimizations that are available to customers. You know, we all know about buying reserved instances and savings plans and EDPs, and there's all sorts of different ways of doing it, but there's also just more like, um, uh, changing the processor that you're using, the scaling that you're using stopping instances at certain times, sizing things correctly. And it's just, you know, frankly, I don't think, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I, I don't think it's rocket science, but it's really hard work and very complex and needs constant attention. And I just think that most companies, you know, their cloud engineers are such a scarce resource, hard, hard to recruit, hard to retain. And they're busy doing more, what you might imagine, more productive things like building new products and building new new services, rather than worrying about how can I optimize my RI purchases. Okay, and so I think it gets cost optimization gets left behind a little bit because of all these other priorities. But to answer your question, I think on average companies can save themselves like twenty five percent. We got a customer. I'm not going to name them, but they're a big cybersecurity company, East Coast U.S. They're spending about uh, just shy of six million bucks a year on AWS, and we've saved them $1.3 million a year. So, you know, that's significant, right? And that's obviously it's not like a silver bullet that like we just press this button and you'll save $1.3 million, but there's a range of optimizations that we have shown them are doable. We've explained to them exactly how they can be achieved. And each one has got its own it is sized, i.e. you've got a savings number next to each one. Like if you do this, you'll save $180,000. If you do number two, you'll save another $30,000, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the way we've designed our product is to have a long list of tests that are run against the infrastructure, which are continuously optimizing, continuously telling you what you could be uh, achieving in terms of savings with hard dollar numbers okay and a lot of that comes down to sort of automated r i buying and some of these other optimizations that that we do but it might be worth discussing our you know uh, automated um reserved instance yeah and i purchasing
0: think and so- I think again, for like kind of like the non technical people like myself or an investor, right? How much of the optimization is like engineering? Like, okay, we're reconfiguring our software stack or writing code to better avoid these charges? Or is it these discount programs and reserved instances and commitments that the big cloud vendors offer? Um, Like, how much of your savings are kind of driven contractually versus engineering?
1: Yeah. That's a really that's a really great question. I think you know it's often a piece of you know how long is a piece of string kind of question because we've got a customer never optimized anything. They've never done any posting or anything. They just put their infrastructure up there, their their hosting up there, and over the years it just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and they've never optimized anything. And you we could optimize so much for them. There's others that are you know, very well optimized and they have they've take, you know, a big chunk of their engineering time to work on these optimizations. And they work in, in collaboration with the finance team to look at what kind of spending programs, what kind of reserved instances they can buy. But often that's really easy to do when you're small, you know, you've got a few instances and you buy your RIs and that's it. When you've got thousands of instances up and down in different regions and different time periods, it becomes a full-time job for finance and these engineers. But to answer your question, I think my best guess right now is that about 50, 55% of the savings come through from these sort of financial elements that you're talking about, about buying RIs in advance, etc. And the rest 45, 50% comes from engineering, different uh, scaling, processing, et cetera, which allow you to actually drive some of these efficiencies.
0: And what's the time to value? I know some of the the person who has done nothing, probably it's a different payback than someone who's optimized, but generally speaking, like what's the time to value for cloud cost optimization?
1: We've got a number of different, when we designed the product, um, we we designed it with a few kind of cornerstones. The first is visibility. Obviously that gives you continuous value, depending on how you want to kind of enumerate that. It gives you sort of forecasting, part of the problem's always been what is my cost going to be on AWS in 6 months time right so we do a lot of forecasting and anomaly detection of spikes etc so visibility is a big part of it and that gives you value there's the continuous sort of optimization that we do that also drives continuous kind of value and also even if you are fully optimized or as near as damn it you can use these continuous optimization recommendations to to check that and to double check that that we you know, okay, last time we optimized, did a big project was two or three months ago, nothing's moved, we're still fully optimized. So it's continuously in the background optimizing for you. So I think that gives you value very quickly, obviously initially, but then continuous throughout the period of your of your kind of engagement with Vertice. The third element is this sort of what we call Rio reserved instance optimization. It's basically a kind of automated buying and selling of RIs. And that gives you continuous value as long as you need to keep them up to date. And, and as I said, that the more instances you have, the greater the value for you because you're saving so yourself so much time and effort. And the last element, the fourth element, is our kind of we bring that negotiation expertise to bear on, on your EDP, ensuring that you get the best value from your from your EDP. And all of that, I, I think it's worth saying, kind of complements that whole kind of offering of cloud cost optimization complements the SaaS purchasing. So there's a lot of synergy between the two and having them both together for, I'll just give you an example. Having them both side by side means that you can accurately kind of uh, measure cost of serve, which I think a lot of finance teams are very interested in because you've got your SaaS costs, you've got your cloud costs, and you can then get a really good handle on your cost of serve. And also it just gives you cost saving opportunities. So for example, your EDP is not fully utilized you can put some of your SaaS purchasing into your EDP and then effectively get them at a reduced cost or a saving. So there is a lot that can be done by having SaaS and cloud together in one place and, and, and the visibility of it. I could go on for hours about this, so I don't want to bore you, but I think that's really where Vertice like stands out from some other players, because there's a lot of players, there are other players in, in cloud cost optimization and there's some players in SaaS purchasing, but I don't think anyone's, as far as I know, built an integrated, unified, in one place, side by side offering for both cloud and SaaS.
0: And the the buying of selling of reserved instances is interesting to me. I kind of like wonder, is like there's some shadow marketplace? Like is Amazon or anyone else involved in any way?
1: Sure, there's an AWS marketplace where you can sell them, but really it's I think it's not so much about like you don't want to be in a situation where you're trying to offload lots of these things. Uh, there's obviously discounts and issues and, and like you, you're gonna take a haircut, but it's really about just utilizing them properly and buying the right number at the right time for the right length. And it's fine, like I think any kind of relatively expert kind of guy in finance or and or tech can, can buy one or two or three or four or 10, but to buy thousands is difficult. And it's is just like beyond the kind of capabilities of most of our customers. And they don't want to be doing that. They want to be building new products. They want to be thinking about new markets and other kind of initiatives that they've got. It's really unnecessary for them to be doing that manually when you can optimize it optimize it using a service like Vertice. Uh, so we look at all their instances, look at their usage, look at the marketplace for these RIs and recommend in an automated fashion exactly what they need to be doing. And so you can say, look, you know, I want RI coverage up to 90% of my usage or 100% or 80% because I'm not so worried. So you can flex the system using a bunch of really kind of granular controls and get exactly the outcome you want in an automated fashion.
0: Interesting. And again, on this topic, uh, Morgan Stanley in April had a CIO survey and the equity research kind of turned it into a thesis that, you know, pre cloud cost optimization wave, 45% of workloads would end up in the cloud. Post-optimization, for companies that undergo full optimization, they'll move 57% of their workloads to the cloud. Do you find that believable, like the fact that the cloud optimization actually leads to more spend?
1: Like in general, I would agree with that analysis, but I'd add that, you know, companies that have even optimized their cloud can end up spending more longer term because just looking at it from a kind of workloads point of view is I, I think a bit limited in my opinion but in general the thesis i think is correct especially if you're reducing wastage and making your spend more efficient it drives you more towards upping you know moving more of your processes onto the onto the cloud and, you know, doing that digital transformation, which most companies are going through or have gone through or in the process of or have just finished. So I think what is important is to make sure that if if you are using it, it's efficient and also trying to fix this disconnect that I talked to you about, about between finance and engineering. And I've been there, right? trying to kind of mediate between the two finance like exasperated at the fact that the the engineers just spending more and more and more engineering are like you know these guys don't understand anything like we're trying to talk to them trying to explain but they don't really get it and, and finance come back with like well why can't you tell me how much it's going to be in six months time engineers like why are you asking that question how who's who who can tell you that and so trying to give them a common interface where they can where they can see it together and discuss it together and collaborate on it and give them forecastability. i think goes a long way towards helping that journey of adding to you know moving more onto the cloud as opposed to kind of the finance team putting the brakes on and i don't think you know putting more spend on the clouds a bad thing especially if you if you're doing it because you're growing and innovating, and choosing to do it because you you know you've got you've got these initiatives in the pipe that you want to make happen.
0: Interesting. And, and another little stat I, I like from your report was that 66% of companies are exceeding their cloud budgets, which w- was pretty shocking. It was that high. 66 is.
1: Absolutely, we were shocked by it too. But you can see how it happens.
0: I'll give you. I'll give
1: you a story. I don't know okay, if like, it's time for the story. A time, but when we, we were developing this product, okay, and we had. I told you already, like you know, some part of our leadership team came from my, this previous company that we were at, and and I told you that in the previous company we had like thirty data centers and whatever it was, 10,000 different instances. And we had AWS centers in Hong Kong and Japan and Australia and East coast and West coast and et cetera, et cetera. It was a big effort to run all this infrastructure and we were very cost conscious. So we were constantly optimizing. And that expert, the that, that managed all of this helped us build this product of vertice okay so the guy is building recommendations of how to optimize okay so that's where we've got to he's helping do these optimizations we hook in the product to vertice's own AWS instances and the product shows a spike in spend like and the guy who's running the the infrastructure is also the guy who's built the product and help build the product in terms of recommendations. So I'm like, dude, what's going on here, you're recommending these optimizations, and our own spend is spiking, what happened? Surely you should have optimized it. So the point, the point I think of the story is, it's not that they don't know how to do it. It's just like far too busy and to have other other preoccupations. And so it's not a surprise to me that, you know, many, many companies are just going way over budget in terms of of their spend, because the team that's running the infrastructure is just too busy to do anything about it, okay? So even even the guy who developed the optimizations has fallen prey to the same thing, being too busy to listen to his own advice.
0: Interesting, interesting. I think we'll uh, transition over to the SaaS spend management side of things again, like optimizing your traditional application spend as opposed to your cloud spend first of all like i imagine you guys encounter some like pretty interesting stories when some you know 500 employee company shows up that they have a crazy number of project management apps or video conferencing tools like what are some fun stories that you guys have seen
1: okay so i can tell you a story that we had when we were thinking of w- when we were fundraising for vertice cuz we spoke to a bunch of i'm not going to name him founder of a public company west coast us it's a fintech and we were looking for some angel investment he, he was very interested and we were talking through the problem and trying to explain to him what Vitesse's vision was like how we were going to help companies and he's like oh my god we did an audit and we found that we we were using seven different design tools and i'm like how did that happen and he said look you know we've made acquisitions in France, they were using a design tool. The Americans want to use their, like the, the stuff that they like. The the Chinese want to use their different design tools. And over time, and there's other design tools for specific little thing that they need. And over time, they saw that, they're, like their design, and I'm talking about just design, like graphic design. The graphic design teams using seven different tools that are mostly completely duplicate. And they did an audit of this. And so when we talked to him about vatice and about you know, why we were excited to do it. He, He completely got the problem, okay? So he's like facing seven design tools, but we've got internally, you know, like a Slack feed with all of our renewals, obviously for internal purposes. And it's just astounding what you see there in terms of the savings that we're, you know, our team is able to achieve for customers. And sometimes, as I said, it's very low, but other times it's just absolutely, Astonishing, like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on single contracts. Okay, because some of these big SaaS contracts for big vendors, and I'm not going to name them, where you've got a big customer like with five thousand employees or licenses, whatever, they're multi-million dollar TCV contracts, and it is eminently doable to save them three, four hundred thousand dollars over the lifetime of that contract. So we've 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 been astonished by what we've been able
0: to achieve and for the audience like in percentage terms like what are some of the savings
1: the range i think is like from zero to 60 there's probably even more like 68 69 and i'll give you a reason why in in a second but on average it comes out to about somewhere between 20 and 30 percent in terms of savings but look a lot of the times It's to do with pricing, uh, it's to do with increasing the term length of the contracts or changing the payment terms of the contracts. But there's also just wastage. Okay, So you over license, you think you're going to need a thousand licenses and you onboard 650 employees onto it. And there's 350 licenses that are not being used. And you might think you're going to onboard people in two to three months, but actually it takes you eight months or you run into a problem in Germany with the workers council or Australia doesn't want to use it because they're using something else. And for whatever reasons, you bought a thousand licenses, but you're only using 650. So obviously we as Baptiste help our customers by understanding exactly what the usage is down to the minute. And we use that information to inform the customer and or the vendor to say, hey, you know, last time we bought a thousand licenses from you, but this this year we only want to renew 650, right? Like, because we're un- under utilizing it. And often, interestingly, we find the opposite as well. So we find like you've licensed a thousand, but you're actually using 1,200. And so we can tell the finance team, hey, you're going to get like an overage here there's going to be a surprise bill for you coming because you're actually using more than you've licensed so you know it works kind of both ways but there's a lot of savings that are available
0: interesting and like one possible dynamic of all of this is kind of like the tech forward companies or the larger companies that go higher vertice right you could end up with a scenario where like the sophisticated larger companies pay substantially less than smaller companies where people with smaller spend who can't take advantage of this. And you kind of end up with like a US healthcare type pricing model where the uninsured and the very small businesses pay one rate. And then the fortune 500s have negotiated incredible rates. And there's like a huge disparity in like cost per unit. Is that something you see like as kind of like the long-term industry structure of SaaS uh, happening?
1: That's clearly the case. And listen, you know, the little I know about baseball, I know even less about U.S. healthcare because I, I've never been able to understand that. I know very little about U.K. healthcare as well. It's also complicated, but US, U.S. healthcare is way beyond kind of my remit. But I can tell you that obviously vendors... Chase just generally chase enterprise deals because it's more efficient them for them to sell to Boeing than to sell to five hundred smaller companies. You can get what you know same kind of revenues you get from out of Boeing or Coca Cola or Exxon or whoever out of five hundred smaller uh, customers. Generally, salespeople like to work up the stack and go up to enterprise level it's seen as being more i don't know what word to use like more sophisticated maybe to sell to enterprise customers than smaller customers but and i can tell you just like a anecdote when we at my one of this previous companies that i've been talking about we sold some security to ge Okay, so we chased that account for ages. It was a big deal, multi-million dollars four year deal, I think it was. And we beat out Cisco to that deal. Okay, so Cisco had a security offering, we had our own security offering, and we sold it to GE. And obviously the sales guy at, at Cisco was upset that they'd lost their commission. Because they were forecasting that they would close GE, but didn't. It went to this sort of small company in the middle of nowhere, ScanSafe, and that started working up the chat, up the ladder at Cisco, saying like, "Who are these guys that have beaten us? Why are they beating us?" So there's a lot of reasons why vendors chase the bigger accounts. It's not always just down to economics. It's to do with um, awareness and branding. And if you can say that I, you know as a company, I help Coca-Cola, that's a, that's super valuable, right? Because you can then advertise that and, and get lots of these smaller companies to buy your product because you're working with Coca-Cola or McDonald's or Exxon or whatever. So vendors will always chase, in my in my experience, will always chase the bigger accounts. But I think smaller guys can do a lot. If they learn the playbook, use a company like Vatice to work with, they can actually kind of balance out the, the sort of pricing that's offered.
0: Interesting. And possibly a dumb question. Does Vertice support like net new purchases, not just renewals, but if you're out considering a new CRM, are you guys involved in like the proper sales cycle?
1: Yes, That the answer is yes. But obviously just because where we are in the cloud, kind of the move towards uh, you know cloud software, most companies that we talk to have got let's say 100 uh sas tools that are renewing every year and they're buying two or three or four new products okay so just we work on 100 renewals and then three or four or five new purchases okay so just in terms of the balance we do many more renewals than the new purchases but we support both and actually we deliver more value to the cust- our customers in new purchases than we do in terms of renewals just because we can get involved in the process much earlier we know what we're doing we know exactly what to ask for we short circuit the whole thing in terms of rfps and getting pricing and as you know you know vendors often don't like to give accurate pricing until the very very last moment and so often we can short circuit some of that so our customers you know really see the value in new purchases but yeah it's it's less kind of often than than the renewals
0: it's interesting it's a obviously like value added and an interesting dynamic and kind of on that topic of pricing you guys had another study you guys a lot of content comes out from vertice and we'll include it in the show notes it's it's data driven exactly exactly like what we like kind of on this show and my newsletter and one of them is about price inflation like price increases. One stat was 12% price increase, 73% of software vendors have increased prices. And so a few questions around that, like, how are your customers responding to these, like, 12% price increases in this environment?
1: I think, you know, customers are concerned. But that's kind of the reason we exist is to try and cushion them from some of these sort of price hikes. And, you know, in general, it's a in general, you could say that the enterprise customers that we have are not don't notice the impact as much, but certainly the sort of more mid-sized companies that we deal with, you know, maybe like fewer than a thousand employees, uh, they're definitely feeling the effects of some of these price hikes. We've got a UK-based accountancy firm, pretty small company with about 150 employees, and they're really struggling with some of these price increases that been pushed through onto them, but you know by using Vertice, they were able to kind of mitigate some of that and obviously you then need you know the position the Vertice takes in the market is that we're completely independent so we don't we don't get paid by vendors we don't get like marketing initial uh, kickbacks we don't get referral fees we don't sell the data we don't get paid anything not 1 cent from vendors so that that allows us i think to to be like a an honest kind of broker i think that's the term so we just try and help our customers and we try and give them the best advice that we can based on everything that we know about dealing with these vendors day in day out and it is it is difficult for them because obviously you know some tools you just cannot live without but there are ways to try and mitigate these cost inter- increases in other areas where you can maybe rationalize tools and bring them together you can defer things you can negotiate things and so where you can you do that and on on the whole that's how we've tried to approach the problem
0: it's interesting right because i've always had this thesis that in a lot of times in saas companies kind of held back too much on the price increases or underpriced their product relative to how much it was growing and the feature set and now kind of in a A new world with real interest rates and shift on profit. Like people are actually pushing through price increases, and so kind of very difficult question for you is like, do you view this kind of price inflation as the new normal? I
1: would say yeah. From our everything that we've seen, you know, Microsoft announced it's going to review its pricing like every six months, and often like in like in a lot of different industries, often the big. The big guys, the most well-known, the largest vendors, they kind of set the the tempo, if you like, for the rest of, of the vendors. And so we've seen price increases being pushed through by the big guys. You know, And there's probably none much bigger than Microsoft. So we definitely see it as the kind of new normal, if you like. Um, but I think that, as I said, and I've tried to kind of explain during this podcast that, you know, there's a lot that can be done to mitigate it. But in my... Where, where, where we're sitting, which is kind of in between a lot of customers and a lot of vendors, we see these price increases coming through and we, don't, we haven't seen any let up. So in terms of reading, like, you know, as a leading indicator of what's coming down the pipe next year in 2024, we just see more and more of these price increases coming through. And I think, you know, the software companies, the vendors have, you know, they need to meet their targets, they need to hit their numbers, and they need to show profitability. And that, that means that they're trying to do everything they can to maximize revenues.
0: Interesting, and like any sharings from the Vertice playbook, like let's imagine, like we have a, like a must use tool, but the vendor comes with a call it 20%, 25% increase, where it is pretty big deal. Like if you're advising a customer, like what tactics would you guys employ on their behalf?
1: Well, I think, you know, competitive pressure is always useful, right? Like if you can bring in other vendors that might be interested in that business, the, the competing with that particular vendor that we're already working with, different price lists in different kind of different regions of the world and why, you know, you can buy often perhaps from in another region, from a reseller, sometimes, you know, companies compete with their own, with their own resellers. So they go, they prefer to write business direct, but they also have reseller channels. So there's all sorts of different playbooks, but it's vendor specific, right? And so we have a playbook for each specific vendor, at least the common kind of usual suspects that we talked about, which are account for like 80% of the spend and you basically need to understand that market, the, the competition in that market, the price lists in that market, hidden Often, Sometimes there's SKUs that are hidden. We've seen, interestingly, we've seen companies break out their SKUs into different kind of line items and they look at the usage of that particular customer and if they know they're using this specific functionality number six, that's the one they hit on pricing. So vendors are obviously out to try and maximize revenues, but also they care about customers being happy and customers uh, saying good things about them and renewing quickly. Uh, so there's all sorts of things that you can do. Um, I don't think like, you, you know, your, high, your, your, your hands are not tied behind your back and you're completely kind of at the will of the vendor and vice versa. So, you know, like customers can't dictate either. It's always like give and take.
0: Sure, for sure. And yeah, that's like when I was listening to that perfect example of like the specialization. It's just impossible for like a regular operator to know, oh, hey, there are resellers of this product in a whole other geography, right? Like that's just unrealistic to even be aware of that dynamic. So,
1: yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, it, and that's not every vendor, right? There's some vendors where it's more likely than others. Others, we will know because we've done it many times with a specific vendor that they offer a certain SKU that is not com- that's not on their website. It's not commonly seen, but it is available like usage pricing instead of per seat pricing. Okay. And for that specific customer usage pricing might work out to be more economical. So we will tell them that it's available and we already know your usage and it would work out to X dollars, which is 30% less than you're currently paying on a per seat basis. So it's not always possible. There's all sorts of things that can be done. And, you know, as I said, you know, on average, we're, we're seeing something like between 20 and 30% savings for for finance teams uh, across our portfolio of, uh, of customers. Yeah. So it's good. They appreciate it.
0: Well, awesome. Like, look, I, I appreciate how deep we've gotten on all of these things in terms of uh, the show notes. Uh, we'll include a lot of this various uh, various content and some information on the the launch of the cloud cost optimization platform for AWS. And uh, is there anything else you want to promote, plug? How can people find you, uh, Eldar? On the internet,
1: (laughs) one. Yeah, that's where we are. But, um, you know, sure, we'd love to speak to customers who think that we might be able to help them. You know, as I said, I think having SaaS purchasing where you're saving money on all your SaaS tools And having your cloud cost optimization all in one place under one kind of dashboard with integrated reporting and and control is pretty powerful. And I think we're the only ones who do that. So we're feeling very bullish right now uh, about
0: our prospects. And obviously, we'd love to help more customers get on the platform. Awesome. Well, look, this has been a great episode and uh, we'll stop here. Thank you.